Hello everyone and welcome fellow piercers and piercing enthusiasts to Real Talk, a piercing podcast from the minds of piercing professionals on the body modification industry and culture. Each episode we will center on a common theme with a guest. We will cover topics including things such as piercing methods, industry topics, jewelry, and trends. I'm your host Will Von Doom, a professional body piercer and proud member of the Association of Professional Piercers. So let's get straight to the point and dive into this week's topic. everyone. In this week's episode, we talk about an obvious problem that many people do not want to discuss. These conversations can bring unpleasant experiences to certain parties participating, but it is something that needs to start happening in this industry. This week we are discussing racism. Racism is something that is happening all around us, and sadly, unless you are affected by it, you may not realize it's happening. The topic is sometimes an uncomfortable one, and it is important to hear those affected by it, as it allows those of us on the opposite end of the spectrum to change our vision on the topic. We sit down for a roundtable with three different guests, each presenting their own unique view on the topic. Alicia Cardenas of Soul Tribe Custom Tattoo and Body Piercing in Denver gives her views as a body piercer, tattooer, and shop owner. Miro Hernandez of San Antonio's Dandyland Custom Tattoo and Professional Body Piercing presents his observations over multiple years as a board member and piercer. Lastly, Trevor Thomas of Braindrops Body Piercing in San Francisco, California, offers his perspective as a male African-American business owner and body piercer. So without further ado, listen in as we talk about what it's like to be a person of color in our industry, how to cater to different clientele, and what we can do to help heal the industry and change our outlooks. you go ahead and introduce yourself, Mira. Hi, my name is Miro Hernandez. I'm from Dandyland in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, my handle is at Piercer Mito, M-I-R-O. Uh, and then our second guest on our show is a first timer for our podcast, but has done podcasts before. So um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself as well? Hi, I'm Alicia Cardenas of Denver, Colorado. I own a studio called Soul Tribe. Um, we've been in Denver for 23 years. Uh, I'm also a former APP member or APP board member and current member of, uh, 19 years. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Great. I really appreciate you guys taking your time to talk to us. And last but not least, uh, we have a new guest, uh, to podcast, uh, and that is my good friend Trevor. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself as well? Hi, my name is Trevor Thomas. I am the owner and a piercer at Braindrops here in San Francisco, California. And I think it's uh, really great to be here, and I'm excited to have conversations with people that I know and respect. Great. Uh, so with all those wonderful, upbeat kind of uh, introductions, uh, we're actually going to talk about a heavier topic on this week's episode. And the reason why I wanted to spend some time talking about this one is because it is vitally important to not only our industry, but the world in general. The thing that we're talking about this week is racism, especially within our own industry. Currently, we've experienced quite a bit of uproar 
from certain events, uh, from certain individuals and things among those lines. And it's becoming more and more apparent that this is something that is very important, not only to us as body piercers and people within the body modification industry, but as human beings. So I wanted to take some time this week to speak to a few people who are actual people of color uh, to express their opinions on the topic itself. The one thing that I'm going to go ahead and state before we even get into this is there is absolutely no way for me to have a representation of every single type or person of color. There's no way for me to do it. Um, the reason why I selected this week's guests is because they are very vocal and very honest about their opinions, and I feel that there are very strong representations of the topic itself. Um, yes, we could have 50 different people on this show all at the same time, but that would probably be an editing nightmare and a really difficult time for me. So I believe that I picked some of well, let's be honest, uh, some of the best voices in our industry to represent the view of a person of color. As we go ahead and move into this podcast, I just wanted to once again state that so that we all understand where we're coming from and where we're starting from. So I'm just going to go ahead and ask uh, all of our guests here today, do you think that we have a problem with racism in our industry? I, I think we have a racist, uh, we, we, we have a problem with racism across our country uh but our our industry is a very small microcosm it's a very small represent representation of what's currently going on with uh certain current socio-political events uh but it is definitely one of those things that it, it when you when you start looking at the at the number of people of color in the industry uh compared to non-people of color i definitely see that it, it's almost like an adequate representation of what we actually see in society yeah we tend to be kind of the micro of the macro we s seem to mirror the bigger systematic issue that the United States has um, specifically. And so it seems to be that when we're seeing stuff happen within the bigger community, that we are also having our own little sort of version of that within our smaller community, for sure. I would agree with that. I really think that as a whole, our industry has done well with being inclusive of different lifestyles and different races. But I definitely feel that it is there is a shortage of people of color i don't know if that is by design or just by a, a willful ignorance on a lot of different fronts yeah it's a, it's an extremely touchy subject because there's no way to really just kind of yell across the board hey is this why is this why i don't think it's just one single thing is causing it no, but you can definitely say that there's that it's predominantly still very white white men dominated. I mean, you see that at conference. I feel you see that in the instructors. You see that in the attendees. I mean, I wish we had statistics on it that would speak to that. But I just feel that that was just that's just my observation. Does anybody have a similar observation? Yeah, your observation is one hundred percent correct. Like it, yeah, it's definitely a very very white male dominated industry. Uh, yeah, I think it's very present in pretty much all of the media that as an industry that we put out, there's always a lack of color of people, with the exception of when people want to uh, stroll down memory lane and wax poetic about, you know, where the industry came from and what our influences were. There are tons of people of color there, but in a current state. It's very little. We're almost invisible at that point. Yeah, I mean, I would say, and I would even go so far as to say, because I have traveled and Mido has a little bit too within the world community, 
is um, is that it's it's even in in Europe and other places it's still predominantly white males that are taking that taking that uh, position. Um, and it, I mean it's changing, it's evolving, and I'm certainly happy to have watched it grow and change. Um, but it's, it's very interesting and it's, it's actually been kind of a bit of a hobby of mine to sort of like collect some of this information to try and put the pieces together for myself because I'm sitting here saying like, what's the difference between me? How did I end up here? You know? And, um, and, and where did that come from? And, and I think that we'll kind of go into that as we sort of break, break it down or whatnot, but it's definitely something that is on the brain for sure a lot yeah and i don't i don't know how to say this without it coming off wrong uh you know but i'm just going to put it out there it's when you really really look at the not not the not the history of modern modern day body modification but when you look at it as a whole throughout throughout you know time when you look at it it started off with these indigenous cultures and african cultures it was really really big in those cultures and the modern day culture it almost seems as if what we what we see with almost anything else where it's been it's been taken and it's been like appropriation shifted and created into this thing by the, by, by the white man, you know? And like I said, I don't know how to say that without not making it sound so harsh, but it's the reality of it. Yeah. And I think you can say it by saying like, you know, it, it was rebirthed in modern, in modern history through the, through, you know, the, and we can even name the, the godfathers of our industry, you know, Fakir Musafar and, um, and Jim Ward. And, and those are two, white males you know like i mean i am I'm, I'm very okay with you saying that because to me that's just the historical reference you know yeah it used to be an indigenous practice it got col- colonized out of the people and then it got reintroduced you know in this other light and it got introduced by the people that were allowing it to be there and, and be a bit more socially acceptable now don't get me wrong those guys were very you know they were very taboo for the time but what brought it to the modern age is those guys giving us permission and, and putting it in body play and putting it in publications and bring it forward. So I honor them for that. And that's amazing, but it certainly is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder, I wonder how different it would be had it been a person of color that had been the godfather or the forefather of modern day body modification. I wonder if it would be as popular and prevalent now had that been the case. I don't think we would have. I don't wonder. I think yeah. it would never have gotten the momentum it got. It would have never gotten off the ground. I don't think anyone would have wanted to be a part of that subculture, I, I feel as though body modification can't really be likened to things like jazz and sports, where there are such a large, uh, a large footprint of people of color. Just body modification, I think, when it was taken away from its roots, it was very much watered down and became a white male thing. Yes, and and yet here we stand, and you know, and I I consider them my godfathers just the same. You oh, know, absolutely. so uh, I see that, you know, I see that and I honor that. And I absolutely don't think that if a woman of color were to bring it forward, she would have been dissed and dismissed. And it would have been another one of those savage practices where all of a sudden it became this like palatable thing, you know, yay, modern primitive. But, you know, like it became something where we can all, all of a sudden have some like some people studying it in school and being, you know, verifying its validity instead of it being something that we try to keep in our dirty, savage past, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's actually super interesting that you you bring it up in that context, kind of going off a, a different thing. Uh, so, for example, uh, one of the classes that I'm taking this this semester is actually called The History of Rock, which uh, speaks about the history of rock and roll. And at the beginning of the semester, they asked the class in generality, like, who they think 
like birthed rock and roll. So you had a collection of people saying, you know, like, oh, the Beatles or Elvis or things among that nature. And then the teacher has literally spent the last five weeks discussing where jazz or like where rock came from and how it came over. Like on, re-educating. Yeah, you? well, I, I'm aware of where it came from, but like a lot of the class are like, what are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, it came over on the slave ships and they like had these special squares and blah, 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 blah. And these like kids in class are like they're like you can look at them and their minds are exploding because they just don't understand yeah. it. And it's... Yeah, well, you yeah, at that point, you pretty much completely ruined every thought they had about what rock and roll was. Right, and then it's... It, but this is a really interesting point. I'll no, go no, ahead. No, no, it's fine. I was just going to comment, like, it's also very interesting because a lot of the people who are considered, like, you know, fathers of rock and roll are actually women, which is another, a whole other monster in itself, but, um, like, African-American women. And I'm like, well, one... That individual rules because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna state who it is, but like I'm just like so surprising that a, a large majority because I'm I'm the old man at school. A large majority of like younger generations don't literally know where their roots are. Just what they've like Google food to know where the roots are. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think what's really the bigger, most important point that you're making here is really where we go into we talk about systematic racism, and then that is the misinformation and the miseducation of many, many generations of people about how things came to be and how we can talk about um, white supremacy being the basis for a lot of our misgivings and and people framing it in such a way to, you know, justify this horrible behavior over the years. And so ultimately, that is the result. That is the perfect proof of people being given the wrong information or not enough information for them to not give respect and honor and due to people of color. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. And I mean, I've taken anthropology classes and things of that nature too. And uh, I, I remember meeting with uh, one of my advisors, and I'm I'm very bluntly honest now. And they're like, "Oh, what did you think about like World Civ?" And I was like, "Oh, you should just change the name of the class to White People Are Monsters uh, because <laughs> that is literally the history of the class." Be like, "Hey, did you hear about the Opium Wars?" Like oh, awful stuff awful, awful, terrible things. And it's just so surprising because none of these individuals that I take classes with realized it at all, like that this is where things were built off of. And I, I think it's just I, – I don't want to say that it's not in your face as much as I think it should be, but it's it's just like – maybe it's hidden and people aren't just realizing it as much. Does, I, I, I have no way – no idea how to word it, but it's just one of those things where I'm like, people should know these things. But I feel, oh, I, I'm like way on the other side of the of the of the board on this. I'm like absolutely intentional, absolutely with the you know with the point of continuing to suppress and oppress people of color. Absolutely, something that's been happening for hundreds of hundreds of years within the education system as we know it is to make I mean is to make the 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 colonialist perspective a justifiable one. Yeah. You know, to be able to come in and say, this is okay what we did here because these people needed it or this needed to have this happen or whatever. And so yeah, I don't know. It's very, very interesting. I, I, it's good to have your perspective from the academia world because I think often we think that this is secular. We think it's like just something that we're experiencing, but it's been experienced across the board by a lot of people. And, and one of my biggest frustrations in talking about racism is how undereducated people are about it. And so you can't even have a conversation about racism with people 
when they haven't even had a class ever on it. They have never had the definition of racism mapped out to them. They've never understood what white privilege is. They think that that's some sort of thing to make them look bad. They just, it's not, it's like legitimately being taught in schools all over the world right now, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a myth. You know, we're, we're currently, we're seeing, we're seeing that here in Texas, you know, especially in San Antonio uh, where we had a huge indigenous culture, you know, and the teachers have fought the, the uh, the publishers of a certain textbook because the history was so whitewashed where they presented it as a matter where oh you know these the colonial the colonials came over here and they helped save these in these indians you know and they helped preserve their way of life uh and they they turned into this huge fight you know where they where they were trying to omit the whitewashing of it and getting the truth to finally come out and you know let people know that hey you know they weren't they weren't the saviors they basically came and ruined these people's lives and they tried to change the course of history by saying we're the good guys but do you feel as though our industry is ready to open its eyes to that in our own in our own practices? Or do you feel that we're not quite ready to make that step to where we acknowledge those people? You know, I think we're ready. I think we're long overdue. I think we're chomping at the bit. I think that's why this thing is happening. We're having this conversation right now. I think we're everybody's pretty pissed we haven't talked about it by now. You know, like a lot of people of color at least. And, you know, like there has some been some instances that, you know, that are worth mentioning that are like really shocking you know shocking within our industry yeah shocking within the the even the app conference our gathering you know our community-based gathering where people have in the last few years come up to me and been like yeah community my ass you know what i mean <laughs> like you yeah. know and that's, be, that's yeah. tough for me because i'll be honest I feel identify with it. that's why i'm not a very frequent goer i you know, I, I struggle daily with feeling out of place as a black man in this industry. I'm, I'm, for the record, I'm a straight black man. So I feel like there are two things that this industry wants nothing to do with, straight men and black men. So for me, I feel like I'm doubly pushed aside and I just don't normally feel comfortable going to large crowds of people who, where I feel like all of those people are staring and wondering what I'm How- doing there. Yeah, how you arrived, right? Yeah, like who yeah. Like who do you know rather than how hard did you work? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, see, it's, it's interesting, though, how, you know, we're, we're talking about this topic of racism and how whether the industry is ready for it to be breached. And it seems like it's kind of opposite of what's gone on in society. You know, when you think about society, like racism is one of the first things that gets brought up. And then we start talking about uh, homosexuality and transgender, uh, other kind of communities that are underprivileged. And in our industry, it seems like it's kind of gone backwards and reverse where we've talked about, you know, the LGBT community and, you know, we've talked about all these other issues, but the racism part is a part that hasn't really been breached or approached yet. Well, and that's exactly what, ex- part of the reason is why it hasn't been, is everybody's fucking scared of it because people all white people sitting around talking about it doesn't really help, you know, like it's just now that, that we've gotten an opportunity to, um, to have enough people of color to even have the conversation. I mean, it's, 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 it's sad, but it's just now becoming a place where we can even have it. Like, uh, having a black studio owner, uh, speak on this is perfect, you know, but because I guarantee I can't name another one off the top of my head right you know it's funny because i thought about that for a while and it was something where i really reached out to other people and i said hey am am i the only black studio owner that you know and resoundingly the answer has really been yes and that's just i actually know one other one and he 
Yeah, there's one other one in D.C., and he's one of the people who, who pulled me aside and was like, whoa, I don't really belong here at the APP conference. And I was just like, no, no, we love you. We're so happy to see you. Oh, my God, can we be friends, you know? And, uh, and he was like, he had an instance of racism coming into our opening party, guys. He came, and he was wearing, he probably has like half-inch lobes where he wears some CBRs in them. He's a tall, dark-skinned African-American and he works in D.C., and his studio is a lingerie and piercing studio, so he's from a definitely a different subculture. But when he showed up at our opening party, he was told that it was a private party. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And you would think we yeah. would be able to police ourselves better than that. You know, I understand. We're in the movement. We're in there. We're used to looking at our little social cues and markers for who our people are and who they aren't. But, yeah, that one, that slipped by us. You know, and uh, I was horrified. I was horrified, you know, and I talked to him and I hung out with him and I exchanged cell phones with him. And we we hung the whole time because I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by him because I have not, again, besides you, not seen any other <laughs> like him, you know? Yeah. So it's and it's it's just such a remarkable thing that we are so underrepresented in in this industry. And I don't know where the roots of that stem from. If it's something that starts in minority cultures, where we kind of, uh, where we shun people for wanting to be, you know, quote unquote different, you know, does that, is that yeah. where this stems from? Where we look at our own people and do we bring this on by saying piercings and tattoos? Oh, that's, you know, like some, is that some quote unquote white people stuff? Like the amount of times that I've been told that growing up is just so amazing. Yeah. Well, and I think this is a good segue into the next part of the conversation, which is how do people get trained and how do they arrive in this, right? And I really think that if you're a young African-American male, that you were to go to your mom and say, hey, listen, I'm going to go work for these white folks with tattoos for basically free for two years. I'm going to get paid basically nothing. And I'm going to learn a trade that someday I might be able to, um, you know, make a decent wage on it. Can you go ahead and cover all of our bills and do all of that while I do this training, please. And you're also going to be <laughs> and part of an apprenticeship is off. You know, the people say the old school apprenticeship where you just treat it poorly, you know, and does that, how does that relate? Are you being treated even poorly? And I've seen it firsthand where women are treated way worse than male apprentices are. So in my brain, I'm yeah. thinking, all right, well, I'm a young black kid and I'm trying to learn this. Are you extra rude to me? Are you really knocking me extra hard? because of these reasons. And it's, you know, like it does, it does feel alienating. Absolutely. Well, I just don't know any mothers of color that would have fall for that. Not a, <laughs> mine did not. Mine asked they me very like, regularly when no, I'm going to get a regular job. job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think that goes down to, that goes down to white privilege or privilege in general. When somebody is able to do an apprenticeship, Absolutely. they're able to take time off of making a regular wage and to learn something while people paying their bills or whatnot and not pulling their weight. And they can spend that time just learning, um, even working reception or whatever. It's still not enough of a living wage to um, to be moving forward. And I just don't think that people of color have that privilege. They don't have that opportunity. And when they do, um, it's often very hard to be pulled into the uh, you know pull, pulled under the you know. Sometimes we have like the the boys club. They pull you in and they sort of teach you and they sort of mentor you and that kind of stuff. I don't see that stuff happening with people of color as much. You know. I will say that I got very lucky because if it wasn't for uh, other people of color who were present at the time, I don't think I ever would have gotten 
in any way a foot in if it wasn't for certain piercers in the industry who I knew from a client pros- from a client perspective. If it weren't for those people, I never would have been able to even get a foot in the door. The whole point of me doing most of the things on the podcast here is just playing devil's advocate. So the statements that I'm asking here are not my personal opinions. I'm just go ahead and stating it. So how would you feel for individuals that just say, oh, well, I worked two jobs so that I could do my apprenticeship. Why couldn't they? I mean, I just think it's about the lack of opportunity. I don't think that it was, I think it's about, you know, yeah, sure. Any of us could have done that and, or could have done two jobs and make it work. Absolutely. I just think it's, um, it's not something where you feel welcome in the studio, you don't see yourself identified in the pub- in the pu- publishing of you know of heavily pierced and tattooed people, and so to walk in a studio and be like, "Can I work here?" seems really really far fetched. Um, you know, it's like almost, and I and I can only really relate it to like tattooing as well. Like, I can't tell you how many people um, have said like, "I don't know why you'd want to be a tattooer. You can't get any tattoos." As far as like being black, yeah, you know, no, like you can't really get, get any you good tattoos. Why get them? You can't even see them. You know, and yeah, it's like, wow, exactly. how, how dismissive of that. You don't even want my yeah. money more than you want to insult me. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely been on that side of that. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, anything is possible. I just think it's a bit of an anomaly when it actually does come together where the opportunities there and the ability to hustle two jobs and make it work and all that other stuff. Like, I just, it just not, it's not, I'm not seeing it. Well, I think multiple jobs is a staple in most minority homes. Most of us who yeah. grew up with moms who worked and did cleaning jobs and then had a regular job. So the idea of being able to work two jobs to put yourself through the industry, you know, I feel like that's really a big red herring because that's what we, most of us have grown up knowing. So I just think it's like you were saying, it's just, we're not included. It wouldn't matter if we had three jobs to get through an apprenticeship. If there's not an opportunity for an apprenticeship, it doesn't matter. Well, and I knew really early on, going to have to make my way in this industry a different way than everybody else because I wasn't going to sleep with anybody to get my freaking apprenticeship or to get instead ahead. And so I clean houses of tattoo artists because they're lazy, you know, <laughs> which is pretty typical Mexican-American, but it worked. <laughs> Those guys will pay lots of money to not have to clean their house, you know, and I, that's how I made it when I was still trying to, I wasn't full on, you know, and I was still trying to like find my feet in it all, you know? Well, they pay lots of money still to this day to not have to clean up after themselves anyway. So the fact that they're (laughs) they're not paying to clean their houses isn't a shock, I think. So all those points that you guys made were extremely valid. But as I asked these devil's advocate questions, uh, for counter argument to all the things that you've discussed, why don't you think that people of color are willing to pursue further education and go to conferences like or go to the professional piercers conference or other such things? You know, honestly, I'm going to just be really straight up because it's a popularity contest. You know what I mean? Like, and it's who, you know, and it's how, you know, and how you feel comfortable. And imagine walking into a thousand, sometimes we have a thousand peers in that setting and to have so few of them, um, be able to be comfortable or to look like one of you or look like you or have the same sort of story as you, it can make it really, really hard to break into the cool kids club. And I'm sorry, but the APP is still very much so the cool kids club and the high school version of that sometimes even. And I love my peeps and I love, I love them and I love being there and I love experiencing them every year. But if I didn't have so many friends and I wasn't teaching and I wasn't, you know, been along around for a long time, I would not feel comfortable in that setting at all. 
And um, yeah, well, and I, I think Trevor actually just he said it perfectly earlier. Like he just doesn't feel like he's he's part of it. You know, he doesn't feel like he's part of that culture. Uh, and I can I can definitely see that. You know, it definitely it's it's not inviting if you're a person of color. Uh, especially if you're an African-American. It, it doesn't seem like it's a very inviting culture to it. I mean, when you look around the conference floor, you can usually count the people of color, or, you know, especially the African-Americans that attend conference, you can probably count them on your hands yeah, together. I think combined. I definitely, I was a part of a small thread of people who were uh, sending each other messages on Facebook and asking, hey, are you going to conference? Because I don't want to be the only black person this year. Or, hey, can we wow. all maybe meet up and we can all sit and have drinks and that way, like, we don't feel like we're so alone. And it's almost, yeah. it's, it's, it's almost really sad and so depressing that still in this day and age that we have to almost, you know, we have to reach out to each other for some sort of support and inclusion. That's you know? not an and, almost uh, thing. That's, that's no, an actual terrible thing. Like, that's yeah, awful. Absolutely. And it's, it's so odd because so many people start in, in studios that are subpar. They're not as great as the studio you work in now. They're not as great as the studio that you wish to work in. So you come from a situation where you're dealing with not great jewelry, but you're there to get educated. You want to learn better. But here you are, you're looked down on the standards that you have to work in to get a foot in, and you're being looked down on even just for who you are. That's a really crippling feeling. Yeah, it's tough, you know, because I feel like a lot of us that go are very, we want to be like bringing people into the fold, you know. Um, but I also know what it's like to sit in a room full of peers and not ask a question because you don't want to look like the one who didn't get the memo or the one who didn't, say, you know, take the class prior that had the information that you needed to have. And I think it's really, really interesting that we continue to be afraid of black people that we continue to be fearful of their experiences around hardships, um, that we don't know how to have a conversation without doing a lot of disclaimers or this type of thing. And we're still working with a very, I would say, like juvenile language around this. Like people still say, oh, I have, a, you know, I'm not racist. I have a best friend who's black. You know, like some of these things that we've sort of, those of us who study race and culture are kind of way past at that you know what I mean and and so I feel like I did do a class or a round table a few years back about racism and sexism in the industry and got a lot of really great feedback and it got a lot of really great attendees and I just think that even the organizers of the event need to continue to nurture these elements um so that this dialogue doesn't go dormant and that we don't, you know, continue to make the same mistakes or trip over ourselves or possibly offend other um, people of color coming and trying to be involved. Do you do you feel oh, that there's the potential that if we do try to be a little more inclusive and that we do try to include these people of color, that it's going to lead people to look at it and say, all right, well, now here the minorities go needing a handout in this, too. Do you think that this could swing the other way? It's already, you know, in the media and other things. We're always so we're painted as so dependent. Do you feel like our industry will think that as well if we start to do that collectively here? I mean, that's systematic racism right there. You know, like that's the thing is and the same thing happened with us this year with in around sexism. Um, somebody stood up and in an all women's uh, panel and said, don't you think we should judge people on their, you know, on their ability to do piercing and not on their gender, yada, yada, you know? And it's like, whoa, you know, like we're trying to do this movement of inclusivity 
we're trying to bring what I would consider an underserved, underprivileged group up to par, um, the last thing we need is more people sitting there going like, oh, you know, you don't need another handout. Like, we obviously know that people are under par because of systematic racism in this country and sexism. The reason why there's such said forums that are not so popular or don't have the best reputation is because people have been undereducated. They haven't had the same opportunities, so they find solace with each other. And whether they're giving each other a bunch of bad information or not, at least they feel comfortable to have those conversations within their own private little circles, you know? And so I feel really sad about it because I look at the whole thing and I go, oh man, we are having like, we are having a bunch of people not getting good information for whatever reason, because they're women, because they're people of color, whatever. And how do we break that down and get back to our main goal, which is to do this education. But I think we have to address the fact that no, a lot of people didn't get that information and they need to get brought up to, they need to be built up in this moment, you know, and not and like as a handout or whatever, but as a, we've done bad by suppressing you and oppressing you. And now we need to give you space to come to where you'd belong up here with, you know, this level of understanding and education and communication and and, and, and word sharing and all this other stuff that we have. So I don't feel like that. I feel like we all, we have a lot of back, we have a lot of uh, making up to do. Do you feel as though there's, there's space in the organization for, for things like a mentorship program, people who come from situations where may, and I know they already have this in place for uh, people who can't afford to go to conference. Um, do you feel like there's a way that that could maybe be included, like people of color, not necessarily even black people, but all sorts of people of color who are like, look, I work in a studio and I have to work these five days a week. If I take off this week to come take these classes, like I just can't afford to do that. I'll never be able to do that. Or is that something where putting that as a additional thing could be problematic. I, I don't I don't see why there shouldn't be any issue with that at all. I mean, this past year we had the the Andrew was it the Andromeda scholarship, which was for a female. Uh, why can't there not be one for a person of color? Yeah, and I think that the mentorship like at conference, they do try to hook people up with like other people who speak Spanish and they do try to do their due diligence, but maybe it needs to be more of a focused effort. Yeah. Like, you know, to put hook somebody up with another person of color or, you know, to invite you, uh, Trevor, to be a mentor to other potential um, African-American body piercers. But I also want one of the, th- one of the things that I, I got into a really good conversation and we were talking about the the industry and the way it is in Atlanta. And there is this whole whole trap culture, you know, where they do have a really huge amount of people that are, uh, you know, black, predominantly black people that are part of this culture. Uh, and some of them, you know, just a lot of it's the, the socioeconomic uh, status of a lot of these people where they don't really, they could care less about bringing their game up as long as they're able to continue to do what they do because they love it and they do it. Uh, and they're continuing to provide this service to these people who historically have been systematically oppressed, uh, who don't have the same socioeconomic status as people of color or, you know, uh, people who are white, who have the white privilege. Uh, you know, and I think that's a whole nother topic, you know, that can just, it can, we can branch off on that as well. It's just crazy to think that yeah, and they wouldn't think of asking for $60 for a piercing. They get, they're happy with their exactly. 40 you know? Yeah, but, well, I think that if we're, going to, if we're going to try to reach those people, why not use the very things that they are looking at and they're looking up to? If we're talking about trap culture, we could easily talk to those people about high-end products because if you're going to ride around flossing, why aren't you flossing with your jewelry? Why aren't you flossing with your piercing? You've got a $500 belt. 
maybe you should have an $80 nostril ring. You know, like we can appeal That's to a great that. segue to another conversation, which is that we don't promote to those groups. We do not have them in our publications. Our main manufacturers don't have them. Some of them are starting to get privy to it, but you do not see them in uh, catalogs. You do not see them in large uh, media campaigns. You do not see, I mean, Afropunk is probably the closest that you're going to see some really heavily modified people, black people, you know, and... Uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, we're taking pictures, Instagram all day. And, you, you know, with the exception of the few, you know, people in Atlanta and East Coast and some of whatever, you're not going to see a, a, a very strong presence um, on the social media or the media in general. I agree. I agree. I mean, even here in San Francisco, and I feel like it's a very liberal place. I feel like it's very welcoming. Uh, recently, there was a thing where they were saying, hey, we want to get people out taking these photos we would love to have people be present and the amount of people of you know the people of color that i've met during that brief time was amazing these are black people and people of color that i have literally never seen in my studio wow but there were tons of us there and it's like well where are you guys all getting these piercings where are you getting this jewelry you know like here you are and i see you wearing nice jewelry but it's so odd that even when I talk to other store owners and people and friends, it's like, do you notice this trend? Do you see these people? And they don't see them either. So it's almost like, how how do we reach out to them even in our own community? I think first and foremost, you promote to them. I think you get them as your models and you do that work and you have to have them at the front counter and you have and 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 that's a that's something that I observed having had a African-American front counter person for a little while. Um, and she was cute. She was so beautiful. She had lots of, we got her all switched over to BVLA and she really got dressed up every time she came into work. And I swear, I swear just having her there, you guys brought more African-Americans into my studio. You know, and it's funny because I, I, I've, I've marched the inclusivity march my whole life. And it's one of those things that when I'm going through resumes and people are applying for jobs and I'm looking in my brain, I'm like, I really would love to get some people of color. I'd love to have more of them. Then I, and then it gets to the point where it's time to hire and they're just not there. Like I've put ads out. I've talked to clients who come in, Hey, I'd love to have you. Hey, can we take some photos, get some photos of you? We're hiring. Would you like to put in a resume? And it's a, it's, it's a challenge. You know, and I'm, I'm trying my best to have that inclusivity, but it's branching out to that market is it's really hard. And even for another person of color, that's a hard I thing agree, to do. I agree, but I also think that if we all hit from every angle for a big chunk of time that we will see some movement, you know, um, I think first and foremost, we could use our community around the conference and really try to make a push. And I do know other jewelry companies like Tether and some other f- people who are doing um who are consciously um doing uh photo shoots with more diversity so that we can see them in our catalogs we can see them in the social media we can see them coming up so that people can identify with them and then in turn want to come to our studios and get something like that in fact we've been hashing hashtagging uh inclusive jewelry inclusivity for all of on our people of color um, uh, posts or whatnot, because, you know, we feel it here at Soul Tribe pretty serious. And we really, really are trying to push to make people see themselves in the people we represent so that they can come in and get that perfect piece for them as well. That's a great idea that, you know, and that, and that is a great way to promote it. 
Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of times it's just not being seen. And I think you were, you were right. There are vendors and suppliers who are doing a fantastic job that should be applauded. How do we, is there a way that we can talk to the other, you know, larger big three vendors aren't doing it? You know, we're leaving it up to all these small vendors to include us all. How do we talk to the big vendors who aren't? I mean, I think we could even go so far. And I know that every year it's like you have to have pro- promote or you have to uh, propose a class way in advance for APP. But I even believe that there's there's a class in there about uh, about um, people of color anatomy differences um, and some considerations and whatnot, because a lot of things are very different if you're working in Atlanta than you are in Salt Lake City, um, or something like that, you know. And so, I yeah, bet you the absolutely. Atlanta piercers, and even the aftercare, even the I, aftercare. I think, yeah, I mean, I think the Atlanta piercers or people who are in more um, uh, integrated sort of communities would have a lot to say on the subject around things that are different within the communities, even just special considerations or things that people have kind of come to know within those communities that work. You know what I mean? Like, I get a lot. I do a lot of African American because uh, I also do tattoos. And they have different aftercare. The way they care for their skin is different than the way that we care for our skin, you know? And so I have to address all of those things when I'm giving aftercare, you know? And so I think that if we really want to have a push to do more integration and we want to, there's going to, we're going to have to hit it from many different angles. And this is, and these are just a few ideas, you know? I think that would be a great idea. I, I worked down in Atlanta for, I think, like a week and a half at one point. And that was one of the first things that was brought up with me by the manager of the studio I worked at. She had told me, she was like, okay, so if like a white person comes in, just do the normal thing. If it's a person of color, like you should really use this because everyone swells up down here and their aftercare is this. And I was like, whoa, all right, that makes perfect logical sense. But it was one of those things where when she first told me, I was like, okay, my mind is kind of blown because I wouldn't even have thought twice about it. And that really opened my eyes when I was on that guest spot. Yeah. And honestly, a bunch of young uh, young piercers probably go on our guest spots jacking them up. <laughs> you oh, know, like awful. not even thinking. <laughs> you know? There, yeah. I imagine there's a lot of uh, three-ace filtrum piercings that are wholly embedded. Oh, at this God. Hella, you know? And it's just looking, <laughs> looking at the anatomy. You know that ain't going to fit. You're looking and you're seeing full lips. And you're like, well, this is what I would normally use. Well, yeah. you have to be willing to adjust. Yep. And I think that's the mark of being a competent piercer. And that's where maybe we're missing because if we can get those people in as, as clients and even as piercers, the dialogue yeah. changes. Mm-hmm. Wholly different. Angles, placement, just because of the anatomy. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, I, that could be a whole class of its own, you know, for sure. Oh, yeah. um, you know, and those people deserve awesome nostril piercings that sit correctly. Absolutely. Yep. You know, they... And I see them frequently. They're not getting them. Nope. You know, and it's heartbreaking to tell somebody, hey, you know, this person, I know they're reputable. I know they do a good job, but this just isn't sitting in a way that I feel is ideal. And it may be part of the problems, you know, and it's just that those people don't know. Yeah, I, I've definitely, I, I've noticed some of that too. You know, we, we have a huge military uh, community oh, in San Antonio. Yeah. Uh, so we, we get a, we get a huge diversity of people coming through our studios and I've noticed that I have to approach my nostril piercings completely different than I would with anybody else. I'll take you a step further with that. Nostrils. Yeah. That's obvious, obvious difference. Nipples guys, <laughs> you know, like, this is a whole different ball game, you know? And like, uh, I still got very, very, very rough yeah. little piercers putting yeah. nine sixteenths in a 
woman of color, you know, fairly, you know, curvy, luscious, beautiful, well-rounded woman and and thinking that that's going to suffice. (laughs) Like, listen, dude, you know, they're not right. They they relax (laughs) when they're not around them. And they get met they, and they're, you know, and so like there's a lot of considerations yeah. around different groups and and whatnot. And um, and so, yeah, I think we do need to address it. And I feel like people are scared to address. It. They're scared to have this conversation because they're afraid to have it or uh, being white people uh, predominantly and to say, I have observed this about this other group and I want to make these, you know, accommodations. But I don't know if that's the racist thing to do or to point this out, you know, how do you even speak to somebody and say, listen, your anatomy, it takes a certain amount of cooth to say, Hey, listen, your anatomy only allows for this, but I would like to do it this way or whatever adjustment you need to make. Um, even the wording around that can feel very tricky for somebody who's not comfortable talking to a person of color, you know, like, I think that's a, like a huge thing, especially even even speaking to other piercers to ask them for advice in regards to that, I think a lot of people are nervous because of racial issues to ask like, hey, when I do an African-American's nipples, like it doesn't come out this way, but I do them this way with everyone else. I, I think it's I think it's both them being afraid to ask it because it may make them sound culturally insensitive, but then also it may make them sound dumb. Like and it, it's just a well, double edged sword that- for them. Do you do you think that maybe there's an issue of pride involved where absolutely maybe doing the job well means that sometimes you have to swallow a little bit of that pride to ask the questions. So then are people just missing the opportunity to learn and do better by actually just asking those questions of people of color and piercers of color that they may know? I think a lot I think our industry suffers from from a huge pride issue. Where, where, and this is just my two cents, where a lot of people are afraid to ask questions, a lot of people are afraid to admit they're wrong, and this is just a, a, another part of that that, like, you know, up-and-coming piercers are, like, not as, like, experienced piercers need to ask because it's not like you can just be like, I only serve white clientele here. You serve all clientels. So you need to be, you need to have that in your toolbox to take care of all those different types of clients. Absolutely. Anyone who comes in the door is your client. Absolutely. You know, you can't, you can't say, well, I only pierce this color or I only work with this ethnicity that it would be the most preposterous thing to say. Yeah. And I, but I also think that people are so scared of being called racist or being, you know, saying something sexist or saying something that's out of line these days that they're willing to go ahead and just left things, let leave things unspoken or unsaid because of the fear of being called out for whatever reason you know and i don't know if if there are young piercers listening to this right now i would just implore you that like there are certain ways you can approach this so that you don't sound like a jackass for sure but um but you know it's more important to get the information and then be even be corrected in that moment you know like um to your learning process than it is to continue to stay uh, with your head in the clouds about it, you know, like I, I have had people exactly. correct me um, about certain things along the way. If I didn't approach them correctly, I, you know, uh, not any of, not all of us are, are perfect in even this new wave of, you know, of transgenderism, of, 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 of gendering people correctly. I mean, we make mistakes. We're humans, you know, 
And, and so we just need to be okay with that. And people need to be more forgiving and understanding when those things happen um, to be able to bounce back and learn and, and apply what you've learned to the next person, you know? Um, so I do think we are very prideful and we need to kind of break down some of those barriers and, um, and our only platform for that, I feel, is conference to start breaking down some of those barriers. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I think maybe a really good way to approach, you know, a few years ago when we had the when we had the uh, all the sexual assault uh, reports that came out in the industry. One of the first things the APP did was that they had a they did training with somebody regarding like, you know, sexual assault and sensitivity. Uh, why can we not have a class about cultural sensitivity training? Uh, have somebody, Absolutely. Have somebody Absolutely. there to speak on that behalf. That's definitely, yeah. a, you know, an idea that's time has come. I definitely agree. Absolutely. So, yeah, I guess there's a class in the make. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think, honestly, if I saw that class at conference, I think it would just be one of the ones that I would just be like, absolutely making time for this. Like, I, I think that if it's... I, I think half the battle is getting it on the docket so that it's available as a class. But once it is available, I feel like a large majority of people would take it because it's so relevant to our industry. And hopefully people would learn a whole lot more than what they know. And I isn't that what conference is for? Like learning in general, whether it be bedside manner or techniques or anything like that. Well, I definitely feel like yeah. that's what conference should be for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you're there. And you're I there definitely to do think that. that it's like a, it's like a, a, you know, like a little bit along bedside manner. I mean, it could be about technique. There could be a class about technique and application of different jewelry or whatnot. And but there's also that bedside manner aspect, which is, you know, um, how you say something and not sound like you um, are like so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, like a racist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know that you're yeah. right. That's definitely a bedside manner issue. If you are comfortable talking with clients. You're comfortable with talking with any clients because at that point, as the piercer, you're in charge. This is your procedure. You're running the show. And if you're confident, if you're competent, you should be confident in anything that you're saying to these people. You're not saying it from a place of bias or hate or just misinformation. You're actually trying to help that person get a better procedure. So when you fail to discuss with them that their anatomy is different than the small, the small framed girl who just left. You know, you're doing them a service by giving them a better service. Yeah, but then we can also go back to what we were talking about earlier, though, was that sense of pride that so many of us have that how many piercers are willing to tell their customer, hey, you know what? I don't have any experience working on people of color. Uh, I don't know how to approach this. Let me talk to some friends first and get some feedback on how I should, how I should approach this. Uh, I don't think that conversation happens at all. Uh, and that's why we're seeing three eights filtrums embedded or, you know, nine sixteenths embedding in nipples, uh, five sixteenths embedding in nostrils because they, they've, they've never been subjected to this yet. The pride won't allow them to tell the customer, Hey, I don't know how to approach this piercing properly. Yeah. It's a huge issue. Like, you know, like I said before, the whole the whole pride thing. Like I, in the past, personally, and this is just my own experience. Like when I don't know how to do something or I don't have enough experience, that's one of the things that like I will say. And and like for for most piercers, they don't have a problem saying that when it comes to the like X piercing. Like oh, I don't know how to do an apodravia, you know. But like maybe they could just extend it to a little bit to just be like, Hey, I don't have a lot of experience with African American nipples. Like, let me contact a few friends just to make sure that I can do the right thing. 
and, and yeah. hopefully though that will change. I I want that to change, and I want it to be something that is just as common in our industry. And and I really hope that this conversation that we're having will open up a lot of people's eyes, ears, and minds to try to try to look at it that way. But do you feel? Do you think that that's also an opportunity to? be more inclusive for clients. If a piercer were to say, hey, I don't really have a lot of experience dealing with this and I would love to do this. And what I'm willing to do is offer a discount on these services so I can so I can see this firsthand. Come on back and let's see how these things are healing and we'll look at it. And you know, because you are helping me to expand my knowledge base, I'm willing to, you know, comp a piece of the story or give a discount. Uh, use your photo in my portfolio so when people come in, they see themselves represented rather than miss the opportunity because of pride. It's a chance to build that sense of pride. You'll now be able to market yourself to minorities and people of color or any client because you've now shown that you've invested into doing a great service for them. So I think that's an opportunity for younger piercers to turn that around. Absolutely. And what you just mapped out is uh, absolutely how I learned how to pierce um, uh, transgender com- uh, community is that exact scenario that you just mapped out is I was like, at first I was like, okay, you know, this is something new, a little different proportions here. We've got going on. And I did exactly that, which you matched up. And that w- now I've, I've got a great reputation, a huge community of people who come to me for their work. And it's because I was not afraid to, to breach that barrier and to be like, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it at discount and I'm going to have you come back and I'm gonna make sure that it works. And you know, this, that, and the other. And, and so, and I'm sure some of us are doing it right now with, you know, uh, other groups, marginalized groups that we're still learning about. And I think that that is a great uh, piece of advice. And I hope that everybody takes it and rolls with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And and from first down, Trevor, that's how I actually grew my African-American clientele when I had my business uh, back in New York, because I was the only one who was piercing nostrils that didn't end up having bumps on my African-American clients. And that actually kickstarted my business quite a bit um, because like obviously you know you do one well they bring back a friend so on and so on and so on absolutely that word of mouth is you know it's priceless people want to come to you because you care enough to do a good job absolutely so i think that's a great way to build any clientele i i think this is a good good spot to jump into uh the next thing that I would like to speak about, and that is uh, racism in the studio specifically. Do you think that that plays a role in how we deal with not only clients, but also coworkers as well? Well, I kind of feel need to like point out some of the, some of the stuff that's going on in recent uh, industry Absolutely. stuff around a body piercer who, um, who was caught saying some very racist things to clients. Um, and the, and a client called them out essentially. And then the next part was a whole bunch of other people came forward with their stories that kind of added to the bigger picture of this person being mm, pretty much racist, you know? And, uh, and the interesting part to me, the intriguing part to me was how he or they did not, um, see themselves as such. And, and we're using like their bedside manner and their approach as justification for going down some of these slippery slopes with people. And I just really, really want to take this opportunity to say like, this is the part where education is really important, where this person didn't even know and, and still does not acknowledge the level of racist that exists inside of them, 
racism, systematic racism, how you were taught. And, and, and I have empathy for that because we were all misinforma- given misinformation through time. Um, we were all taught from a school system that omitted many things, horrible things about history. But I really do, th- I really do have, when I, when I listen to the response of this piercer in regards to these accusations, I, I really saw in that uh, a person who did not even understand racism um, the concept of or how deep it ran in within them. And I, so I think it's really interesting as we're dismantling this to see how few people even acknowledge their unconscious bias yeah. and their unconscious racism. Yeah, no, I, I completely, it was just, it's funny that you bring that up because I saw just a post earlier today from someone that I grew up with in my hometown and their post was, what is this white privilege that people are speaking of? I've never experienced it. And one of their white friends actually called him out and said, you're white. You don't see it because you live this every day. You do not understand the fact that you live a very privileged life compared to these people of color. And although you may not think that these things that you think are racist, they are extremely racist and biased. Uh, So a lot of these people, they fail to acknowledge it because they come to accept it as their norm. They don't see the way that they are undermining the the people of color in their their society or their friends. Yeah, it kind of blew my mind a lot. Because it it felt like a really heavy, serious denial. Um, it felt like uh, like some. It just felt really confusing to me, and it really brought into perspective that many people don't even know their unbi- their unconscious bias to certain groups of people, or how their actions would be perceived as racist actions. Um, and so, yeah, I call complete bullshit on that character and say, "Sorry, bud." Like. It's okay to be flawed and that we're all coming out of this like colonized storm where we realize, man, we come from a racist society. I think that that is actually more honorable than um, than sitting there saying like that wasn't that wasn't racist. I was just being good bedside manner and like playing up to whatever crowds listening to you or whatever, you know, like trying to identify and connect with people, you know, like we connect with people based in like good uh, experiences and good stuff, not in like hating people or, or making ourselves better than other people. That's not a way to connect. That's not good bedside manner. That's that's some weird shit. Yeah, you know? that, oh, I'm sorry. Absolutely. That, that 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 response was like a it was like a half-assed apology with underhanded hints of racism thrown throughout it. Absolutely. I feel like absolutely. I feel like that apology was like those generic apologies where someone, rather than saying, "Hey." you know what? I did this shitty thing. I'm sorry. And instead they say, you know, I'm sorry that your feelings were hurt. You yes. know, not like I'm sorry that I did the shit, but I'm just sorry that my shit hurt your feelings. The backhanded they get to, apology. You know, yeah. They get to apologize while absolving themselves of absolutely being in the wrong. And I think, you know, as a community, when we catch that and we see that we have to just stomp that out. We just have to stand on it and say, no, you, what you did was wrong. You may feel as though you're, you know, like you're a you're a button pusher or you're, you know, you're stirring up the conversation. You know, that's just or being you a like joke. to have difficult conversations. Yeah, that's like when people tell me, um, you know, I'm just I'm not rude. I'm just honest. No, you're rude. And, you know, in this instance, no, he's racist. You know, he's not just <laughs> it's not just a hot button issue. You're not just trying to get opinions. You're just a racist. You know, it's not you being edgy. It's not you being cool. By no means can you wear a Nazi costume. 
make offensive jokes and be like, no, 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 I was playing it up for the camera. No, that's racist. That's just what it is. Yeah. And I thought we were in a group of people who just owned their weirdness instead of like <laughs> whatever. But I, I really was disappointed with how that whole thing played out and honestly how it was responded. And I really was intrigued that our community and even more so intrigued that the community of, 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 of customers, clientele, came so fiercely um, in, you know, in literally taking down a small business. And, and that's a little scary and crazy because if, and, and I don't think it would have happened quite extreme if there wasn't so much evidence to, to, um, to feed that. But, uh, boy, it was, uh, it was an interesting to watch from, uh, from my little angle for sure. Well, I'm glad yeah. it happened. I'm absolutely glad it happened. You know, I, I don't really generally wish ill will on other people. I just, you know, I'd like to think I'm better than that. But when what you do takes, you know, you, you welcome us in, you take our money, you provide a service all while, you know, while hating us. Well, then you don't deserve to work in this community. This community was founded, you know, even the modern version of piercing is based off of the inclusion of people who felt un that didn't feel a part of something. So if you're going to step into that and then just say, Hey, I'm a part of this subculture, we're quirky and weird. But we're also still going to push a certain group out. Well, that's just nonsense. And it's, you know, when it happens, the customer's right. Push that person right on out. Tell them, you know what? You're no longer welcome. We don't want your service. We won't give you money. And we're just not going to tolerate your hate. I think that's, I think that's fantastic. Good riddance for good rubbish. Yeah. And honestly, I have had some situations come up where I've done, um, I've done some advertising or promotion or my politics have sort of seeped into my business world. And I've had people tell me, Oh, you should keep it separate. You should not say such, you know, kind of, uh, strong worded things, you know? And I'm like, no, that's why people come to me. They come to my studio because I'm the kind of person who has those signs in their shop. That's like, everybody's welcome here. This is a safe space, you know? And, and we're, Transgender people will be feel respected and they will be treated with the utmost awareness and and everybody of all walks of life can come in here and feel that was my business plan. That's part of my mission as a business owner. And so I I rock that flag pretty strong, you know, and so it's really interesting to see that people try to still sort of not talk politics, not talk this, that and the other around their studios where I'm like, no, absolutely. What my studio is, is a is a is a safe space for people to come and to not have those experiences absolutely racism homophobia or whatever i would even be willing to double down and say that you know the people who tell you oh well you shouldn't do this or oh you should be quiet those aren't people that you really want as clients anyway if you feel like i should i should lower my voice so you feel comfortable you're not you're not the client for me you're just not what we what we provide is inclusivity. We provide a sensitivity. We provide a sense of welcome and safety. And if my saying that vocally makes you feel uncomfortable, well, there's a good chance that you're probably just a shitty person. And I, I don't need your money. And I would prefer you to go somewhere else. So does anybody else have any other racism in the studio type situations? I mean, I, I definitely have had some things over the years, but nothing that's really sticking out right have now. Have you ever had an instance where... Uh, someone's demanded to speak with the manager, with the owner. And then when you present yourself as the owner, they feel like that can't be true. Yeah. Cause I've definitely had that recent with uh, uh, an older white woman 
um, who in every other aspect I thought would have been a fantastic client. You know, she was older, she was well-dressed, she knew what she wanted. And the minute she was told no, or that a policy is what we were standing behind that, you know, no, you can't wear this piece of jewelry out and then decide it doesn't match your shoes. And now you want another piece at half price. And when you demand to speak with the owner, you look at me and say, are you really the owner? As if you didn't believe me, (laughs) as if you didn't believe me, you know, and I, at that point I let her know. I said, well, if you're uncomfortable with me as the owner, you could dial this number and get the owner. And it'd just be talking to me on the phone instead of looking to me in person. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. So if that's the experience Mm -hmm. you want, then that's fine, but it's not going to change. You know, and I I felt so offended, but also angry. Mm -hmm. And I find myself at a delicate balance where if you say something wildly offensive to me as a black man, I have to stop, take a breath, take a step back and not respond overly what could be perceived as overly aggressively Hmm. because i am a black man i'm sure you're pretty used to that essentially i'm a black man telling a a white woman no you're just wrong and that's not what i'm going to do i'm not going to refund you because your request is ridiculous and that very quickly Hmm. to an outside perspective you know it it feeds into every stereotype so i have to be super aware of that Mm -hmm. i'm even more gentle than yeah, when I would really just like to say, you know what, you're just no longer welcome. Go, go ahead and get on out. I almost have to kid yeah. glove it. Yeah, I, I can't say I've ever experienced that. I, I, and I think that's one of the reasons I've never like San Antonio has always been home to me, and I've never felt anywhere more at home than I do here. And it's because as a person of color, I live in a city where the majority is where the minority is the majority. Uh, so I've, I've never really experienced it on that aspect, but I can definitely, I know in my travels, you know, when I've gone to other states and other cities, uh, I've definitely gotten some really, really far-fetched, crazy looks from people uh, going through South Carolina and having people stare at me and just completely not acknowledge who the fuck I was, was mind blowing to me. Never experienced that in my life. But then again, I should have realized that I was in South Carolina of all places. Uh, so I shouldn't have expected more. Yeah, I think I've had a long running yeah. joke about never guest spotting in the South. You know, and it's, just, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just one of those things where I jokingly say, "Oh, where's your studio?" Yeah, I'm never coming. You know, and it's like I don't. It, it, it's almost funny, but it's more sad than it is funny. No, the, I think the racism that I've experienced most recently is about safe, care, like keeping safe the space, like keeping the the, the safe the, the space that we're in safe. So, for instance, like. A tattoo client listened to Bill O'Reilly's fucking book out loud instead of in headphones, you know? And so, like, I could hear Bill O'Reilly in the background of my studio. <laughs> and I was like, hey, dude, like, <laughs> you know, I was more just like, you know, this isn't really appropriate stuff for you to have out loud. Maybe you could use headphones, you know, that. T- so just, like, safe, yeah. s- keeping the space safe for other people. Like, you know, after president got elected this most recent um election um there was a lot of talk and some some weird client feedback you know because it's hard to ignore those things people were talking about them and you know my studio is tattoo and piercing so you got a lot of people there for a lot of hours and um and having to like diffuse some very awkward moments um and and so some of the racism i've seen isn't directed at me as in just 
again, part of that overall racism against Muslims, you know, or, or, or something like people saying these offhanded things, you know, where I'm just like, okay, now I'm going to school you on that. It's going to be very awkward and <laughs> for everybody involved. And you know what I mean? Even with um, tattoo um, artists, if you have a shop that's kind of the mesh of the two worlds like mine, where tattooing is based very much so in like, a lot of these guys come from the old school, very racist biker shop sort of mentality. And then you've got your like queer, crazy, weird piercer, people of color over here doing all their hippie shit, which is me, you know, and, and like their two worlds are colliding. And so I've had to do a lot of diffusing of those two situations because tattooers can say some racist, horrible shit. And, and they don't even know, they don't have the bedside manner that we do to even say to somebody in a really well-spoken way that that color wouldn't work on their skin tone they just say some shit that sounds horrible yeah you know and (laughs) you're just like so i do a lot of like um of like running in and sort of like rescuing the situation and diffusing it and using myself as an example and showing the color that didn't work out on my skin tone and you know like (laughs) doing a lot of like maintenance around people's lack of couth on these difficult subjects so that's the racism i'm experiencing more over i did have a bad yelp review with the young african-american front counter girl that uh referenced her as being uh like a big attitude black chick at the front (laughs) you know uh, and and even though that's not outwardly yeah, even though that's not outwardly like, you know, like racist as some people would see it, it's definitely feeding that racist um, stereotype, you know, um, of, you know, of black women being over the top and yeah. being uh, having too much of an attitude or being too bossy or whatever it is that, that goes along with that stereotype. And so these things, I mean, these things sneak in. Yeah. And I think, too, like we've had uh, we've had incidences where I've I've worked in a studio and not surprisingly, I'm the only black piercer on hand. Uh, and people will come in and they'll say, I got a piercing the other day and I had some questions and I just wanted to talk to the piercer if he's in. And people will ask, well, you know, who was your piercer? Oh, I don't remember him. Okay, well, can you describe him? Help me out. So that way we can make sure that we get you matched back up or even whoever's here can help you. Uh, the amount of times that people have never wanted to acknowledge that I was black is absolutely astounding. I've been described in every other way. Tall, tattooed, uh, big stretched ears, pretty much, you know, qualifiers that fit every single person in the studio. And it gets to a point where the counter help will ask, by chance, was he black? And it's like, it's a hush. (laughs) Like, yeah, it was the black guy. And it's like, it's okay. He knows. He's aware. It's not a secret. We're all here. You're not the first person telling him that he is. So he's not going to be shocked by that. Uh, You know, and it's like, it's one of those things where I think we have to change the culture of our shops. And we have to say, look, it's okay to ask these things. It's okay to be able to talk about a person's race in a way that isn't derogatory. Because that helps. It really does. When, When the black piercer is friendly, then it takes it away from being the black piercer. It's, well, that's how I identify because I didn't get his name. And I think it's, it's, it's an okay thing so long as it's – when things are handled with respect, they're teachable moments where you can move forward. Absolutely. And I think it's important to grasp those teachable moments 
rather than being like, oh, well, this is awkward. Let's not talk about it. No, grab it with both hands and say, look, here's a perfect example where we can talk about this thing and we can all get a little smarter from it. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's definitely it's a direct reflection of what's going on in society, though. You know, people are so afraid to voice their opinion on anything because you're going to no matter what you say, there's going to be somebody there to contradict what you say. There's going to be somebody to jump on your case because you're culturally insensitive or you're transphobic or you're homophobic. Uh, And it's none of it's really the case. It's just that as a society, we're just so scared because we don't want somebody to jump down our throat because of what we're saying. Although it's true. Yeah. Well, but specifically we're afraid of black people. So we just need to, that's a very specific type of afraid. That is, that is very, you know, and, and I, I sometimes wear a head wrap up and I have a very, my, my race can be very ambiguous. I mean, like you really can't, a lot of people can't tell where, where I come from because when I do that, it's just really, it's really hard, you know? And so I get a lot of the, you know, like, where are you from? And like, I'm a Denver native. So I'm like, Northside, you know, like, um, and so like, they're like, but like, they really want to ask that and want to be able to connect with some cultural identity. And, and it's still awkward, you know, and I usually make a joke and I go, Oh, but my grandparents, you know, from this, that, and the other, or whatever, I have this native root and, and, um, and I break down that barrier that way, but it's really interesting because my shop is called soul tribe and it's soul is sun in Spanish. I have found that a lot of people find comfort in knowing that they were walking into a place that has some diversity, obviously, and that they can sort of, uh, you know, talk about their own cultural experience, you know, um, same thing with like, uh, uh, me doing like, like, um, like baby lobes, which is a, a controversial thing, but because it's such a cultural thing in Denver and it's such a, uh, Mexican American culture, their community, um, it's something that people identify with and come to me for, you know? And so, um, I'm happy to have that space and create that space for, um, people, all people, but, you know, specifically people of color, but, you know, even, even people of color still, like Mexicans are still racist. There's still people who can still be unbiased or discriminatory, even if they're not just white, you know? So we have to look at the whole picture, you know? And so, I mean, I grew up in a household where we, where we still didn't have friends that were African-American, you know, like we, I had to do a lot of breaking through those barriers as a young person to learn and to educate myself so that I could be comfortable in those spaces um, and not be, you know, wigging out about, things I didn't know about, you know? And so I do think that that's something that people often sort of assume that it's just like an us and them, like white or black or whatever. It's like, everybody is going through this. Everybody is trying to figure out what's the real story, you know? And like what part of our education was flawed and which part of our, our, our way that we think of things is flawed, you know? And I, I, again, that's like the human pride too. It's not just the Pearson pride, it's the human pride, Mm -hmm. you know, of of not wanting to get it wrong or not wanting to offend somebody or whatever. So yeah, we all have work to do, (laughs) you know, it's continued work, continued work around it. Well, that takes us right back to, you know, there maybe needs to be a class There maybe needs to be a, a round table or a sit down where these things can be discussed. And it's discussed in a, yeah. in a in a space where you're not being judged for not knowing. You know, we have to remove yeah. the yeah. stigma of just not knowing. It's okay to not know anything. But the problem is when you want to continue to not know anything. You know, we have to break yeah. through yeah. that. Or the other big problem the other big problem is is knowing 
but playing the ignorant card against it fully well knowing that you know uh you see that a lot as well you know and it's definitely yeah. one of those you know it, it, it it's mind-boggling to me that people try to play that that route as well yeah and i think that also we have a lot of people who are like you know nobody wants to admit that there's racism still very very prominent around them and so there's a lot of people who get dismissed like you know, you get like you say something you're like, hey, that wasn't really appropriate or whatever. And then like it just gets like very quickly moved through instead of being like, oh, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. And even with that instance with the um, with the bit of racism that came up in, in the APP setting, um, you know, when I did take that to the powers that be, um, I feel like it got dismissed very quickly instead of it being like, wow, that sucks. We need to work on this. Let's make sure that our board of directors has um this sensitivity training because it was one of the directors of the board who was at the door you wow. know and it's like instead it was like um uh oh that was just a mis- you know that was uh, <laughs> that was so and so they're not racist like uh you know that was a mistake you know and it's like whether the racist or not that's not what i'm saying that's it's something that's come up that we need to address Absolutely. and it's not a it's not a bad call on you you're not a horrible person it's just an it's a it's a fairly actually common mistake people assume assume a lot of things about people all the time um, and if somebody, you know, if somebody, we used to have a, the conference across from a dart, you know, a dart event. And so if somebody had a dart on their shirt, maybe you'd make the same assumption and be like, this is a private party for piercers and you would send them away. But, um, but ultimately we still need to acknowledge that these things need to be in place, especially for a nonprofit. Nonprofits all over the world are having this sensitivity training for just their directors, just their officers, or just the people who are running the show, you know? Um, and so... So that's a thing, you know, but I also think that it's our job as the membership, if you are a member, to um, to fill those board positions with more diversity because yeah. diversity makes the world a better freaking place. Absolutely. And I think the only person who's there's only one person who doesn't out, out there believe that. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a shop anymore, you know, so, so diversity is where it's at. And, 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 and the better, more round-wounded we are as a community, the better we can face all of these problems together. And I think that that's about us. There's an election coming up for the APP, you know? So, you know, trying to get more people who are not the same old, same old, or who are, who are going to represent a different perspective is kind of our job. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I, I, I mean, that's a perfect time to bring it up. It is election time you know, within our industry. So maybe this can be a good spot for a lot of people to jump off and maybe get a different mindset to try to think of what we could do to benefit the industry itself. Yeah. I think benefiting the industry would be to be more vast, to be more diverse, to have more people representing different groups, to bring these things to the table and not move through them too quickly. Well, like we're not, like we're not, we're not perfect. You know, I think that inclusivity will only make it better. There's, there's no yeah. way that it can, you know, there's no way that it can take away. No, it is. I, I mean, we can agree that our lives are better because of the vast amount of experiences we have that are coming from all the different people on the planet, you know, like that's undeniable, you know, like, uh, so I just think that our, our little world needs to represent that a little better with a bigger push and, and more prioritizing of it. You know, more it's prior- like, I know it's happening naturally. More, more prioritizing, but also more, more educating. You know, instead of instead of people viewing as an educational experience as something that should be confrontational, be a little bit more empathetic and compassionate and use it as a tool to actually educate somebody instead of 
you know, I'm going to beat you down because of this. No, let me turn around. Let me open up my heart to you and let me talk to you as a human being and tell you why you're a racist piece of shit uh, in a really <laughs> nice way. <laughs> I think the, the in the nice way part, that's the important, <laughs> that's the important part. But that's where our bedside manner skills come into play, man. You know, like that's not just about with us and our clients. That's about us and our colleagues. It's with us and our vendors that's with us and everybody on the planet you know like we are these advocates we are these representations of the modified community that goes out there and is trying to dispel all of these like you know biases that people have about certain things i feel that on my front counter i'm trying to break break past all these barriers constantly now i'm not doing it to the point of where i'm like saying racist shit to whoever's in the room so that we can all have something we identify with that was weird but um but I am trying to be that advocate and, you know, and, and like, uh, and try to continue on that kind of opening and awareness and that type of thing. And, and I definitely think that we've mapped out a few good routes here tonight about what we can do to make things better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these, these conversations can be uncomfortable for some people. Uh, but if it makes you, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, that means you don't understand it. And if you don't understand it, you need to learn a little bit more about it. That way you don't feel uncomfortable and Absolutely. you're able to handle conversations more comfortably. Well, I think the yeah. acknowledging that you're uncomfortable is your first step that maybe you need to broaden your horizons. And I think that's again, where that, that sense of pride, you know, you don't know everything. You're not always going to be comfortable. You're not always going to be the sole face in a room and you have to break past that, have those conversations and, Again, you know, just be willing and be open to learn. Yeah. Um, but I also I also think that that uh, sorry, I also think that that comes with us making space for it. Like, I also think that we have to say, you know, we want to have these classes and we want these people at the forefront of them, whether they're famous piercers or not, whether they're shop owners or not or whatever. This is these are the people who need to be teaching it, you know, um, the ones that are living ones that have lived through these experiences and who can, you know, tell us what's the best way to approach these certain things, you know? And it's like we had this last year, we had a, you know, a, a class on non-binary trans and other uh, people on the spectrum of gender uh, type stuff. And we didn't have that taught by, we had it taught by, you know, transgender folks and non-binary folks. And so it's the same thing with this, like, we have to get more, um, we have to make space for, we have to invite, we have to celebrate the people of color who are willing to teach, who are willing to talk and put them in that space, in that limelight so they can have that voice, you know? Um, and that's, that's the only way it's going to get done because they're pretty much used to uh, just sort of kind of, you know, doing whatever, or not even coming to conference. Um, so that's heartbreaking. Well, I think if, if you make the space for it, I think that, Making the space for it will allow it to happen. It will happen. Yeah. You know, so long as there is that. Yeah, I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it's a matter of it. making the space. It's it's a matter of us demanding that we have that space, and yeah. then going from there. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. No, really. Like all. Like you guys just kept like hitting such good points. Like I was like, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. So, uh, uh, so yeah, that was incredible so i'll uh i'll do like an outro thing here honestly like you you could have just done this podcast on your own like everything that i was gonna say you like nailed it i was like i'm just gonna sit back like this is a new one for me <laughs> this is <good. laughs>
It's kind of my hobby, though. I think about this no, shit a it's lot. Great. No, no, honestly, it's great. And it's really, really, really nice to, like, I know this sounds weird, but to hear it from your perspective, as opposed to just me being like, hello, I am the other person here, like, talking about it. You guys talking about it, it's so much more natural, and it's so much more engaging. Thank you. I, I would like to say that I uh, I really, really appreciated this. I, I have the utmost love and respect for you folks and i love you guys even more for being able to share this conversation with you guys it's been absolutely amazing absolutely agree thank and you it's... so much for allowing me to be a part of it you guys are definitely you know you guys are people who i i know of and respect and i just think the utmost of and you know i've always had a good rapport with miro and will has been fantastic so alicia i'd like to apologize nice to i've meet never you. actually you know i've known yeah. you're there and i always am, yeah I'm always so hesitant to reach out. So I yeah. let me apologize. Well, you don't have to worry about that I now. Will. I'm going to be up your Yeah, butt. you guys are, this is how the friendships <laughs> are born. Please do. So I think all of the points that were covered in this episode are extremely, extremely important. And I think that the episode itself does exactly what it's supposed to do. And that's just to create a like a springboard for these conversations to happen. And hopefully uh, – our listeners will be able to go ahead, self-reflect, maybe think of things a little bit differently, but also possibly reach out to our guests on the show this week if you do have questions or maybe you want to try to benefit the industry or any of those things. I, th- I think this is a really good spot to start some conversations that could lead to some amazing things that our industry that our industry needs. And I really want to reiterate and just make sure that I state – how thankful I am to this week's guest for stepping out and putting all this information out there because it is a heavy topic. And I really appreciate not only their honesty, but also their suggestions on how we can improve things and move forward. Um, so, so as we conclude this episode here, I just want to give everyone one last chance to just kind of say where they're from, where you can find them, and also how you can contact them just in case you want to have a, f- a little bit of a deeper conversation with them or reach out to them about topics. Yeah, my name is Miro Hernandez. Uh, and first off, before I even start, uh, this has been an absolute amazing experience and a pleasure to be able to have this conversation with these people that I love and adore. Uh, I've always been about the human experience and I love sharing it with other people. Uh, if you want to talk about this topic more, please reach out to me. Please reach out to Alicia. Please reach out to Trevor. Uh, we're all very, very compassionate human beings and we want people to learn from experiences. Uh, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook. My handle is uh, Pierce Hermito. That's M-I-R-O. Uh, and my inbox is always open. Please shoot me a message. Let's talk. Yay. I love- this is Alicia Cardenas out of Denver, Colorado. I'm really blessed and honored to be here with my brothers expressing this and working through this and growing and learning. And you can always reach out to me at soultribemama at gmail or my Instagram is soultribemama, M-A-M-A. And uh, yeah, I look forward to continued discussions, education, and more pushing for us to break down these barriers so we can all be um, beautiful big community that we are. Thanks. Uh, I just want to first say thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing a space for this conversation to happen. It's something that's honestly been so close to my heart for pretty much the entirety of my career, and I'm I'm beyond thrilled to be included and to just even be considered for this. Uh, if you have anything that you'd like to say, if you've always wanted to talk or ask questions, please feel free to contact me. 
Uh, my Instagram is Black Trevor. That's black with a Q. Uh, my Facebook information, I'm just Trevor Thomas. And feel free to message me at any point in time. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to have a conversation. And I think we can all get better from this. And I think that's ultimately the the biggest thing to take away from this is we we all have room to improve. And as long as we all keep an open mind, we can all move forward together. Cool. Oh, yeah. And hashtag uh, inclusivity, jewelry, inclusivity, body jewelry, body piercing, inclusivity. Yeah, let's get that moving. <laughs> So we'll make sure we do that. And I'll include not only that hashtag so people don't forget it, but also um, all of our guests' uh, Instagram, how to contact them, and everything like that in this week's show notes. So thanks so much, you uh, wonderful folks there. And uh, And thank you for opening up the conversation and being brave to to really step into it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As always, our main purpose here at Real Talk is to discuss subjects and topics that may not get attention or may be taboo to discuss. This episode is in those lines. As always, the views here are from a select few, and there are many others who have experienced things differently or may have different views. We encourage you to use this podcast as a jumping off point for future discussions to engage those around you and within the industry. Thank you so much to my guests this week. I've included links for them in this week's show notes. Please take some time to follow them, or better yet, visit their places of employment. Also, if you have any questions or would like to discuss things related to this podcast episode, please reach out to them. They would love to discuss it with you. In other news, I am finally and officially Will Von Dad. Josephine Mackenzie Eck was born on this little marble on September 6th. As you can tell, this episode is a little later than the usual due to this. I can't express how amazing it is to be a dad, and it's worth every minute of missed sleep. I also want to state how amazingly strong and powerful my wife is during this entire experience. There are no words out there that can explain the absolute love I have for her and Josephine, but enough will on dad for now. As always, I want to thank all you wonderful folks for the reviews on iTunes and the Google Play Store as well as listening in every few weeks for each episode and supporting us on Patreon, where you can find us under Real Talk, a piercing podcast. I would like to thank our ongoing sponsors of the podcast. Sponsor Other Couture Jewelry and its owner, Mike Knight, have been busy traveling across the country doing jewelry pop-ups. He's selling his amazing pieces and also taking dental molds. But don't worry about your jewelry orders. He has added another full-time jeweler to handle these when he's out of town. If you're looking to have a set of gold teeth made on one of these stops, or to possibly get a copy of this catalog, please visit our sponsors page or visit othercouture.com to contact them directly. Sponsor Goldheart Woodworks has been busier than ever with their new website, bodyjewelrydisplays.com. This site allows you to peruse the entire Goldheart Woodworks catalog. What's even better is they're now starting to be able to ship internationally. So if Borders kept these pieces from you before, rest easy knowing that your cases can now have these displays in the near future. If you're an international client, visit BodyJewelryDisplays.com to see what's in stock and how they can work with you. Also, I would suggest checking out and following their Instagram as they've been up to some breathtaking new woodworking projects. Our final sponsor for this week's episode is from our California family. Adam and Shelby Richens have been crushing it in their city of Santa Cruz at the beautiful Amory Body Arts. This is the only studio I trust in Santa Cruz to send clients and listeners to. What's even better is that their staff just expanded to include my good friend, Dan Steinbacker. 
So now when I come to visit, I can visit even more of these wonderful people in one place. For all your piercing and jewelry needs, make sure to visit our friends at Amory. You can find more information about these companies under the Sponsors tab on our website, realtalkpiercingpodcast.com. To ask questions, suggest topics, or get more info about your host or today's guest, please visit us at realtalkpiercingpodcast.com. If you have a moment and enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guest are their own and do not represent the official position of the Association of Professional Piercers or their places of employment. Music by Broke for Free.